You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Welcome back to Faster, More Intense for The Mandalorian, Chapter 11, The Heiress. I am one of your hosts, Michael Cohen, and I, Matt is not back yet. I, he he uh, says that he will be back in a couple weeks. His life is just uh, uh, upside down <laughs> at the moment with his move and stuff. So uh, he's not he's not quite ready, but he's hoping that, that uh, after the Thanksgiving... Uh, holiday that's uh, uh, the American Thanksgiving holiday, I should say, because, you know, uh, real Thanksgiving was like over a month ago. But I, I that's the Canadian one. I, I, but he, he should be back after that um, uh, for the second half of the season. Uh, and uh, so we're looking forward to having him back. But in the meantime, We've got another guest host uh, this week. We've got we've got uh, Danielle coming back. Yay! You're back. Yay! Yes, I am. <laughs> Thank you. I. Uh, you know what? Actually, I think uh, what this is your third episode, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So I think of the non Thunderquack because we have like our our stable of Thunderquack hosts that have other podcasts on the network. But like of the non Thunderquack hosts, I think like this makes you the most returningest. Sweet. I I guessed. I so clearly I enjoy talking about Star Wars with you. I, you can insert I, a kazoo noise. <laughs> um. So yeah, like I I we'll, we'll have another guest I think next week, and then uh, and then Matt will be back. But I uh, but I wanted to make sure that I got you in here. Yeah, appreciate uh, it. Thanks. Talk about it's always fun. Talk, talk about some Mando. Yeah. I, but uh, we got a couple other things that that I. Uh, that we want to talk about before we jump into it. Um, and, and one of those is that just another reminder uh, about the uh, trans rights or human rights. This is the way fundraiser yes. uh, head over to GoFundMe and, uh, and, and just search that just search trans rights or human rights. This is the way it's the, it's the one with the Yoda. Uh, I, the little baby Yoda thing, um, logo. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and consider donating if you can over there, or or sharing it uh, if you can't donate, um, sharing it on social media and with your friends, uh, it would be greatly appreciated because uh, mm-hmm. uh, they're they're at like eleven thousand, and I think we, we want to get it to fifteen, yeah, um, which would be really cool. But uh, I mean, like even still, it's such a such a great effort and so cool, yeah, and. Uh, and especially with, uh, let's say, next week's episode coming up and a certain somebody making a return to screen. <laughs> we kind of want to push that a little bit. Secret- just to Secret- counterbalance. Secretly doing it on the fight. 
just to even it out because rather than rather than i i you know get into the negativity of that because like next week when we do talk about the episode we're just going to talk about the character and we're not going to talk about the actor mm. i i and i i just to kind of balance balance everything out and make sure that that the that that the galaxy is in harmony uh, we'll just keep we'll just keep pumping this fundraiser yeah um for the the uh oh man what is it it's the transgender law center i think or law fund i believe so um, yeah i yeah, uh, to help to help transgender people uh with legal stuff and and, and fighting for uh fighting for basically just human rights that's the yep. whole point trans rights yep. are human rights so um yeah, a uh, really cool fundraiser uh, being uh, organized by some very cool people, some some friends of the show. Hopefully, we'll get get some of those people on the podcast soon. Nice. Uh, and uh, and yeah, if you can support to that, uh, that would be awesome. That'd be super cool. Uh, the other thing that we're going to talk about before we get into uh, the heiress and talk about you know everything <laughs> uh because <laughs> it's a pretty big episode yeah i uh, we're just gonna really quickly this is not rebel cells so we're not gonna get deep into lego star wars holiday special but i uh, but i did i did danny i just wanted to ask you how did you feel about it did you enjoy it um yeah i i went in definitely saying this is a lego thing it's not canon yeah. it's meant for children it's meant to be fun it's meant to replace the old holiday special and with that in mind overall i did enjoy it um i've played lego star wars and it's always a you know fun play um and i've seen the little um Freemaker Adventures that you had recommended on Disney Plus, and they were great fun. Um, my seven-year-old and I had a blast watching them. Um, yeah. So it, it was kind of the same thing. Um, you know, I really overall did enjoy it. I thought the premise was really cute, the whole tribe travel thing. Um, the, the subplot, uh, evil side subplot, was really cute and funny. The banter was definitely enjoyable. Um, I liked what they were doing with the whole uh, Ray teaching Finn. Uh, thing Poe was adorable, of course, yeah. um, and it was nice to see Rose a little more involved um, and cameos of everybody. So overall, it was really cute. I personally think it's worth a watch um, as long as you can separate, you know, however you feel about how the saga ended. As long as you just go in mm -hmm. wanting to see, you know, some of your favorite characters uh, around again and having a good laugh, then it's worth a watch. And it's only forty-seven minutes. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and it's so easy, like it's so easily accessible because it's on Disney Plus, right? Yeah, so if you're yeah. if you're listening to this, then most assuredly you have access to Disney Plus. <laughs> At least I hope so. I uh, otherwise there's going to be a lot of spoilers in a minute. Um, but yeah, it it, uh, it it definitely I think it fits the bill as as a, a, a let's call it a replacement. I don't know that that many people actually watch the holiday special. The the holiday special is one of those things. The original one from nineteen seventy uh, seventy is it seventy eight is when the holiday special aired, right? Yeah, I believe so. Because New Hope came out in May of seventy seven. Um, yeah, and so I think this was done around like in the Thanksgiving time. So. Yeah. So yeah. like, I, I think it's, I think it's a rite of passage. I think that every, every hardcore star Wars fan, I uh, should watch it. Um, 
almost as like a hazing. I, <laughs> just I, I cheated. Like, you gotta... I cheated. I had heard about it, and and then yeah. so I watched the uh, honest trailers. Uh, version of it and i was like oh yeah that sounds bad i don't want to go near that it's awful i have it i have it on bootleg vhs um oh no which don't don't let george lucas find out (laughs) it's the it's it's actually one of the my favorite items in my star wars collection because it is a bootleg vhs and i feel like it's there's like a certain level of star wars hipster cred of like oh have you seen the holiday special yeah i have it like i i have a copy i i I didn't just watch it on youtube i i i had seen it before internet video was even really a thing um i got it my first year in in film school uh from one of my classmates who i it wasn't really a bet what he said was like hey if you can go a month without talking about star wars nice I, you will get something and trust me it is it is worthwhile like it, it'll it'll be worth it and i didn't know what it was but he was like matt knew it's funny it's another matt i i matt knew i i you know that this is like one of those holy grails one of those things that right at that point in time because this is we're talking about 2003 it's, this is one of those things that like, oh, you've heard about it, <laughs> but nobody's ever seen it um, unless you had a bootleg copy of it, like a VHS or whatever. Right. So it's one of those things that like, oh, it's been referenced in Star Wars Insider, but I've never actually seen it. Um, and uh, and so I did. I managed to go a whole month without talking about Star Wars at school, of course. I mean, like I was talking about Star Wars in other places, but uh, I was very disciplined about it. And at the end of it, uh, Matt presented me with this with this bootleg VHS, and at the time I still had a v- VCR. Yeah. But we it was film school, so we had access to all sorts of technology at the time. V- VHS was actually still considered. Uh, I think you could still buy video cassettes of new movies at the time. Uh, yeah, I was actually in high school then, so yeah. We, yeah, we we weren't quite out of. Uh, we were DVD had not reached full saturation yet. Is that back when um, they were still doing like the weird competi- competition between the HD something or another and versus? No, that's HD DVD and Blu-ray. So that yeah. that comes after that. Yeah, that comes, yeah, yeah. That comes a few years later. Yeah. No, I, I, but yeah. So I, I had watched it off of that, and I, and like to me, it's one of those things that like you got to sit through the whole thing. You have to, <laughs> you have to, to know how bad it is and to be able to talk about it you have to sit through the whole thing it's so bad because it's awful. look away <laughs> it's awful i mean like from the guy pouring juice in the top of his head to <laughs> carrie fitcher singing just an atrocious song uh that was not recorded properly like they, they basically like recorded her on stage like on set singing and it's just like it's tinny and echoey and it like they just they did not put real effort into it (laughs) they just kind of put something together but it's all worth it for one reason and that's the animated sequence that is the first introduction of boba fett and that's why that back then that was why most of us knew that it existed because the Boba Fett figure came out soon after that, before he appeared in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I remember the history of the toy. Yeah, and the context was like, oh, he, that guy from the from the holiday special. 
right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with his the, the rocket firing jetpack that w- the rocket was glued into it because it was too dangerous to <laughs> to launch and kids would choke on it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like there's like the whole history of that and everything. Th- this it doesn't even the Lego one doesn't even really replace that because like I. It, I don't know anybody who's got an actual holiday tradition of watching the holiday special every year. It's definitely a funny thing on the internet to like bring it up. Right. And certainly you can watch the animated stuff, the animated sequence, because the animated sequence is fantastic. Um, it's not like it's it's not well done, but it is very cool, mm. if that makes sense. Um, there's there's some really fun like because you have to remember that at the time there's no other Star Wars, <laughs> right? It's right, just yeah. there's a movie. There's the novelization and there's the Marvel comic books, maybe. Um, but even then, the Marvel comics, there's not a lot of them. It's not like you've got the, the whole library. You're like a few months into it. Right. So Had, um, uh, I can't remember. Did uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye come out by then? No. So mm-hmm. Splinter of the Mind's Eye, I think, is like 1980, maybe 1979. Mm. I, 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 uh because when do the the Han Solo books? I think are nineteen eighty, the first one. Yeah. So yeah, it would have been like right before that. Because Splinter is the first novel, the first the first Star Wars spinoff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the like the Han Solo adventures come pretty quick after that, and uh, and then after Empire, you get the Lando Calrissian. Uh, I think they're the the Lando Calrissian Chronicles. Uh, or Chronicles of Lando Calrissian, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the more there, those are all of those are more like novella pulp adventures than they are, you know, the Star Wars novels that we became used to in the nineties. Right, right. They're much more self serious and canon established and blah blah blah. But uh, yeah, like there just there wasn't a lot, so uh, you have to sort of put yourself in that headspace and go like. So this this is what it could have been, uh, and the animation is really cool for the time. Um, it's got a really cool vibe to it, and all the voice the voices are all of the actors, mm-hmm. right? Um, and Boba Fett just has this really cool vibe that that uh, so much of that goes into the Mandalorian, um, and and right. there, that's not a secret. That's that's something that John Favreau yeah, and Dave Filoni have talked about yeah. a lot. So yeah, it's uh, it, I mean, like I think that everybody needs to at least watch that, but but uh, but I also just think, yeah, watch the. I think everyone needs to watch the holiday special once. This Lego Star Wars holiday special is one that you could watch every year, because it's mm-hmm. it's fun, it's it's humorous, it's got a, a good heart to it. I think, um, the the lessons are good for kids. It doesn't have the sophistication that the Freemaker Adventures stuff does. Yeah. It's it and that's because the the showrunners that did Freemaker Adventures didn't work on this. It's a they're different it's different writers. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, the the crew that did Freemaker Adventures and Lego Star Wars All Stars, they've like they they're working on other stuff. They've got other shows now. Okay. Um so they didn't work on this. But uh so it it's got the Lego sense of humor, but it doesn't have their sense of humor, mm-hmm. which um freemaker adventures is very uh sharp 
like the like the wit in that show is 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 bang on um <laughs> this was a little bit more like okay those are the easy jokes like this yeah. there's a lot of low-hanging fruit of burning the tip yip and and the tree falling over and you know like it's it's all it 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 kind of writes itself yeah. right like i don't really think that there was a lot of insight put into a lot of this um I but try to keep it basic just easily accessible for everyone yeah. whether you're a fan or not you can say oh look it's cute let me watch it with my kids and yeah you know i also I, backlog I, to it yeah i also imagine that this was on a pretty rushed schedule because the animation itself is not what i would consider up to par with lego star wars animation this this really felt like jumping back about five years um which again this is not rebel cells this is not the place for me to go deep into the animation side of it and actually maybe what i what i'll probably do is i'll have uh curtis finley from uh, epic marvel podcast who is also an animation nut like myself uh come on and, and we can we can break it down and talk about that that part of it but but you can tell it's a market step down in quality uh mm-hmm. in terms of the animation from from what freemaker adventures was doing particularly in season two and then in lego star wars all-stars mm-hmm. which is a direct sequel to freemaker adventures it's i really think of it as season three of freemaker adventures mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. um yeah because like that had a continuity to it it had a it had character arcs it had thought put into it um and then on top of that like especially in season two they started to borrow a lot of the ideology from the lego movies from from Lego Movie One and Two and uh, and and uh, Lego Batman, with the way that they would animate the Lego bricks and yeah. and it and it really upped the quality of that of that show. That's not here in this. This is like the DVD pack in sort of. Uh, yeah, it did uh, have that feeling, didn't it? Yeah, like even like before the Lego droids, like like the ones where it's like where the characters barely talked, mm-hmm. right? Um, like the older ones. So it, it, it really felt more like that, but, but it was still fun. It was, it was worth the 45 minutes. I watched it by myself. Um, cause I didn't want to get spoiled cause, cause Twitter was just crazy with spoilers. <laughs> um, and as I, I posted on Twitter, it's like the, like a, Lego star Wars lives and dies by the, by the like the surprise yeah. of the jokes. Right. Yeah. Like if you know the jokes going in, you're not gonna have a good time. Uh, it's it's gotta be a a fresh thing. So, um, so I jumped on it as soon as I could too. that morning. <laughs> it's sorry. It's the same thing with the games too. Like, there's not much replay yeah. to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I uh, so I've yet to watch it with the girls, but uh, we'll probably watch it this weekend. They'll like it, and uh, and and yeah, I'm sure that they're gonna have fun. Um, but like you said, like, it was really great to, to see Rose actually have, I mean, like it's cause I, I'm pretty sure it's Kelly Marie Tran. It is. Yeah. Voicing Rose, and, right? yeah. Uh, Billy, Billy D Williams. Um, yeah. And, and Rose has more lines in the Lego star Wars holiday special than she does in Tross. And that's not by much, but it's still more. <laughs> yeah. It's atrocious. Uh, atro- atro- atrocious. Atro- is that a thing? Serious. Do we say that? <laughs> I'll accept it. Um, yeah, so it, it, it is difficult because it definitely does bring up a lot of the bad feelings. But at the same time, we're almost a year after <laughs> the release, right? 
and I think it's time for some of us to start sort of, you know, throwing some dirt on that grave and walking away and just accepting it is what it is. And, and you're not going to change Tross, but uh, going forward, maybe we can do some better stuff. Uh, I still have that. I still have the uh, sad Hulk piano music playing. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's difficult. But um, Carl wanted to watch it the other day, like a couple weeks ago, and we watched it. Um, and it's so funny. I have this feeling every time that I watch rise of skywalker where i sit down in the first 15 minutes of the movie i talk myself into it or like i think i'm i think i'm being too hard on this movie (laughs) and then you start getting into the palpatine stuff and you start getting into the like like uh uh, ray doubting herself and uh, and i'm just like no 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 this movie is so bad it's full of so many problems but there are a lot of people that love it so that's true it's a, yeah, it's a funny thing. But uh, let's talk about something that's a little bit more universally loved and yeah. get into this episode of The Mandalorian. Chapter 11, The Heiress, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, as, in my opinion, all episodes of The Mandalorian should be. Um, as much as I really like the She's other great. directors that we've She does gotten. a great job. I think I I personally think like this episode stands out, and I think that that Sanctuary is one of the standouts as well. Mm-hmm. Um, written by John Favreau, uh, so he's actually he's written all four or all three episodes so far this season. Uh, I um, think I think Dave Filoni wrote one episode, and I think all the others are written by John. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Uh, so we're sort of sticking with the standard here. Uh, but uh, here, let, let's jump into the recap. Uh, Din Djarin, the child, and Frog Lady arrive at their destination, the ocean moon of Trask. Badly damaged and low on fuel, the Razor Crest makes a rough freefall descent through the planet's atmosphere. Din engages the thrusters and tries to set the ship down on a landing platform. But one of the engines gives out as the ship crashes into the sea. Uh, great reference here at the beginning of the episode, a nice Easter egg uh, reference to Apollo 13, which Bryce's father, Ron Howard, who also directed uh, Solo, a Star Wars story, he directed Apollo 13. So it's uh, some some uh, uh, sharp-eyed fans uh, caught that and posted on Twitter, and she actually confirmed, yeah, it was, it was meant to be a direct yeah. reference which is awesome. to Apollo 13, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, and then it's the the comedic timing on this of the like easy, easy, all right, here we go. And then it the the engine blows and the ship just lurches right into the water and oh my god, it's so good. Which is fantastic because I was like, okay, they're gonna crash on the landing pad, but the, the fact that it like hovers and then topples into the water, that was great. Yeah. And the and the standout character I I whose nostrils were puppeteered by uh, Janina Gavankar, <laughs> who you, everybody might know as Aiden Versio from, uh, from Battlefront two. Uh, so what a weird connection that is, but I love it so much. Star Wars is awesome. Uh, the, the, the wonderful Mon Calamari and the cable knit sweater that just kind of shakes his head <laughs> and then, uh, and then repairs the ship. Um, but yeah, great, great beginning to an episode is kind of just like, let's start off with some crazy action because we're going to slow down for a little bit here before we 
pick back up into some more crazy action. The pacing is just perfect. Uh, do you want you want to keep going with, sure, with the next yeah, one? Absolutely. A crane walker lifts the crest out of the water and sets it down onto the platform. Mando hires a Mon Calamari dock worker to fix the ship as best he can. Frog Lady shares a joyous reunion with her husband, who thanks Din for his help and points him into a nearby inn where he can find information about the Mandalorian covert he seeks. Din notices a mysterious woman watching him from the shadows, and quickly she vanishes into the crowd. Um, I love this walker. I love it so much. Oh, yeah, it's and awesome. It, it's so funny the things that Star Wars fans latch onto. Mon Calamari's in cable net sweaters, <laughs> and walkers that are crane like it's just i love it when we can get something that is so 100 percent star wars uh-huh. but that we've never seen before oh yeah um and and it like that that crane walker is just it's just so authentically perfectly star wars but the cool one of the cool things about the mandalorian is that we get to see these other parts of the galaxy the stuff that's not the war yeah. right um and and this is a great example. And and my wife commented like, "Oh, that's like a that's what they did with all the adats after the war." I'm like, "No, I don't think that that's an adat that's been repurposed. I think that's just another piece of machinery, right? Like that's just uh, uh, it's like, oh well, these walkers like th- this this configuration works for a bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. And it's probably if if anything, it might be the other way around where it was like these." these cranes if you put cannons on them they'd make really great siege weapons right like that sort of thing so it's uh uh yeah i i just love it because it it just adds so much depth and texture to yeah to the star wars galaxy it's great world building plus you know you think at the end you know how the Montcalamari repaired his ship it it fit really well because they're just taking bits of what they have and making it work so yeah. I thought that was another great way of visually showing that too. Yeah, totally. Um, and we get we get the great reunion between Frog Lady and Frogman. Yes. Uh, uh, very heartfelt, very rewarding after last week's episode. Oh yeah. And I, uh, I, and then and then the introduction of of Casca, uh, right? Casca mm-hmm. is that? Yeah, I think. Yeah. That's. Yeah. Um, uh, Sasha Banks's character, uh, uh, who we'll learn more about in a minute. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm really glad. At first, when I first watched the episode, I was a little bit worried that that was going to be the end of Frog Lady and Frogman, and that we wouldn't get resolution right um, on that, yeah, and that they'd kind of just that leave that hanging. Thankfully, we come back to them in a little bit, but. Uh, here I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll continue and then we can we can get into that in a minute. Sure. Uh, Din takes the child to the inn. He pays the Mon Calamari innkeeper for food and information about the Mandalorians. The Mon Cal introduces him to a corn boat captain who knows where the covert is located. It's only a few hours' journey, and the corn offers to ferry Din and the child on his boat in exchange for a fee. Uh, and look, Din is a little bit more trustworthy than I would be. Uh, because we know from historical context in Star Wars that Mon Calamari are good, Corrin are bad. Yeah. <laughs> right? With that. Yeah. 
yeah that's the that's the that's what we learned in uh in the expanded universe and then it was reinforced in the clone wars yeah when the mon cal sided with the republic and the Quarren sided with the separatists uh uh it was with the end it was still that way in the resistance comics the uh the allegiant comics that came out before rise of skywalker and even in resistance you know with the Quarren pirate captain yeah yeah so yeah corns are definitely coded as villains um but but at the same time i mean like like uh, they they've broken molds with with a lot of stuff uh on on mandalorian i mean like i i wisdom coming from an ugnaught was not something that i think most of us were prepared for right and uh, and yet queel is queel and he's he's a he's a yoda like character now in the uh in the canon right so That's great so it, like there's always room there's always room mm-hmm. but i i i didn't trust these guys <laughs> immediately i was like well, i don't know if i would go with them especially since they were uh, so eager I'm like oh yeah 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 i can do that yeah yeah it 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 seems like a bad idea uh and the 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 chowder uh was oh man that was something else uh <laughs> both like the delivery system of the tube, which is just like, Gross. yeah, not not cool. <laughs> um, and then the fact that there was a there was a live squid creature inside it that attacked our our precious child. Yeah. Um, and I, but the line, it's all worth it for Baby Yoda with a spoon, <laughs> and uh, and then uh, the don't play with your food line. It's. It's just good. It's just good corny humor. It's good. These are good dad jokes. Man, Mando's Mando's figuring it out. He's he's kind of going. He doesn't have his priorities right. His safety is not the first thing that he's worried about, but he's definitely got the dad jokes down. So, <laughs> you know, we'll t- we'll take what we can One get. One step it's, at a time. Yeah. Uh, as 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 I I I was what was it uh, was he commander captain whatever Carson Teva from last week said these are trying times. Yeah. Uh, so we'll take it we'll take it he's uh, he's the best father figure in star wars so far um that's not true i i i mean i would say kanan's a better father figure even though he wasn't there i (laughs) but uh doza's doza's pretty good yeah that's true doza doza probably probably takes takes it he probably wins out over anybody else uh but man parenting in the star wars galaxy is not easy it's, it's really not there's not no nobody does it well but uh i get nobody really does it well on earth either so uh, <laughs> we all just screw our kids up to varying degrees right yeah uh <laughs> would you want to continue here sure mando and the child set sail with the corn crew on the fishing boat the corn haul in a net full of fish to feed the mamacor a large, hungry creature they keep below deck. The captain offers Din and the child a closer look as it feeds. Suddenly, the Corrin whacks the child's cradle with his spear and knocks it into the manticore's mouth. The cradle seals shut just in time as it goes below the surface and is swallowed whole. Din jumps in to save the child, and the Corrin seal the gate over the top enclosure, trapping him in the water. As Din struggles to stay afloat, the Quarren jab at him 
with their spears, intent on killing him to take his prized Beskar armor. Yeah, I, man. Didn't see that coming. Despite not trusting them, I didn't see it coming. It was so well executed. It the performance, like MVP of this episode, as great as everybody is in this episode, and there's standout characters left, right, and center. MVP of this episode is the voice actor who played this Corin, because the way he talks to Din, you it's it's just he's just so common. Mm-hmm. It's just like so like you ever seen a mamacore eat? It's a thing. It's a sight. Like the the kid'll like it. Right. Like it just it sounds so innocent, so mundane of like, yeah, we got this thing. It's it's a it's a beast. It's, it's a beast thing. It's it's pretty cool. You want to see it like like kids like to see it. Yeah. Um, and uh, and but it's all it's all a play. And the way that it is just so perfectly paced to like he's in the middle of the sentence when he when he hits the the, the egg, the cradle into the the water mm-hmm. and it goes over like it, it hits the water and 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 just kind of sits there and then this thing just comes out and swallows it and you feel what din feels oh yeah which is the whole point right um and it just so perfectly sets up the arrival of these characters in a moment like it just it, it it's it's sort of um as as much as as he's been in danger uh it, and the interesting thing is that these corn clearly don't know what they have because they're just after the beskar right but the child is worth more than the beskar mm-hmm. um retrieving the child was worth beskar <laughs> right so yeah. the child is worth more than it points the to andrew pascal because in that moment of you know when he goes in and then when he gets fished out and mm-hmm. and like you can hear like how terrified he is and like to the point where I could feel that. So that was great. It, 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 I think that this will be marked as a turning point in his journey with the child um, where I, I think, and especially in a moment when, when the child is returned to him, um, his, his demeanor and his attitude is very different from, what we've seen so far this season in particular where it's like it's very much like it's about the quest it's about the quest it's about the quest and as much as he has a good relationship with the child and and like they they have a they have a a a rapport building this is the moment where he i think he realizes it's not just about the quest it's this is not about failing in his quest right when he jumps in that water and 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 in a second when he gets pulled out when he is like the child like like he the way that he tells him like he sounds like a parent yeah. he sounds like an actual parent um like that is that is his child so that like that's a that's a, a an evolution of the relationship between these two characters i think mm-hmm. that's uh, that's worth noting um and it's uh, it's I I I really enjoy this whole this whole sequence. Uh, let me I'll read this next part. Sure. Let me talk more about it. Uh, Suddenly, a trio of armored Mandalorian warriors descend onto the boat and quickly dispatch the Corrin thugs. They pull Din to safety, and one of them dives into the water and rescues the child from the Mamacor. 
Din thanks them for their help, but is shocked when the trio remove their helmets, leading him to believe that they are not true Mandalorians. Their leader identifies herself as Bo-Katan Kryze and says she was born on Mandalore and fought in the Purge. She and her companions, Koska Reeves and Axe Woves, realize that Din is a child of the Watch, part of a group of religious zealots intent on restoring the ancient traditions of Mandalore. Din seems confused by this, but reaffirms his belief that there is only one way and takes off on his jetpack. So uh, we get the introduction of our uh, night owls here, mm-hmm. uh, Bo-Katan, Koska, and Axe. And uh, uh, wow. <laughs> it's just... What an entrance. As, a, as an animation fan, I, this character originally having been introduced in Star Wars the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. and then seeing her again in Star Wars Rebels. Um, and now in the flesh uh, on screen uh, and still portrayed by Katie Sackhoff, which yeah. is fantastic. It's awesome. Um, just like brought to life the the armor, everything. Because what like one of the things that's interesting is that that armor, when it was designed, was designed in the style of the Clone Wars, right? Mm-hmm. And so it it's it was stylized. And what I loved about it then, and I still love it now, is the difference in the in the visor shape, right? Um, yeah. And I and I really like the differences between the masculine mandalorian armor and the feminine mandalorian armor i like i i i think that that's a worthwhile thing there was a i i anita sarkeesian who is a, a very uh well-known feminist uh activist i i she did a whole series on video games uh years ago that was quite controversial she attempted to stir up some controversy it was it was really interesting to see it happen um, cause she, she made a post about like, Oh, boob armor. Are you kidding me? <laughs> sort of thing. And it's like, well, f- first of all, like, like that's a real broad brush to be painting with to say like, Oh, the Mandalorians that they, they like star Wars, they've got boob armor. And it's like, no, they have definitely like, like feminine coded designs for these characters a hundred percent. Right. Like there's no denying that. Are they sexualized? Are they overt? Is it is it like is it egregious or exploitative? No, they're just they're just feminine as opposed to Boba Fett's armor, which is by default because it's worn by a man masculine. Right. Like like I to to me, it's it, it was so funny to see that and then see fans jump in and usually i find myself i i you know sort of listening to both sides and 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 thinking that like sometimes sometimes the feminist stuff can get a little bit a little bit um like the painting with a broad brush like i was saying Mm -hmm. where it's like all the examples are are as bad as one another like this is no different than if than if her boobs were hanging out right right uh, and the armor was just covering the nipples basically right <laughs> and it's like that's not the case that's not what this is right so it was really refreshing to see um to see women in the star wars fandom jump in and like very quickly shout her down of like whoa 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 right 
we got problems in Star Wars. <laughs> Don't get us wrong. <laughs> this is not one of them. <laughs> and and in particular, uh, some people that I saw in the conversations that I was a part of saying things like, like, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, s- some of us need that room. <laughs> right like like some of us would be grateful for that extra clearance basically uh and and then other others saying like yeah like like yes it is feminine and you know like work it sort of thing right like if you got to flaunt it i i mean to which it's it's like yeah i think it's a you got to take it on a case-by-case basis and you can't paint with a broad i mean their armor is generational as well so and they don't really from what we've seen have issues with um, gender roles per se so yeah. they're equally you know a man and a woman is a warrior regardless and yeah. this is just one version of it if you're a woman and you need that room then it is custom fit for you and Mandalorians are also artists as well so if yeah. you know as we would in marble to accentuate a picture or to lessen it in a degree they're going to do the same way that armor is a part of them it is their art form and they're going to form it to however is going to give them comfort and ease in battle. Yeah. Yep. So. And, and, and that's the thing is that like, when you look at it, it's like, does Bo-Katan look like she can handle herself? Right. <laughs> and it's like, it's, so to me, it's like, it, it it's one of those things where you're like, I don't think you watched this. <laughs> you certainly don't know what you're talking about. Like you're right. certainly wading into deep waters, not understanding. And I mean, you could even just how far down they go. Cause this is coming from source material from years ago. Yeah. If this were a problem, we've already had the conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like almost a decade ago at this point. Cause I think Bo-Katan is introduced in season two, maybe three. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, right. so we're three, but I'm not sure. Yeah, we're talking about like nine or ten years ago yeah. at this yeah. point. Like, 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 yeah. If it were a problem back then, it would be a problem now. But it wasn't a problem back then, and everybody, in fact, said, "Awesome! It's very cool that they included women as Mandalorians." And not only that, but that George and Dave made Previsla's second in command a woman, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, and and that she that character goes on to become the rightful ruler of Mandalore. And that's what we're building up to in this story as well is that, is that now I think that the, we're going to get a flip on that. I think that, that Din is going to end up being the, the, I think that's what we're driving at for the end of the series will be him uh, as the one to unite Mandalore. But, but um, I have a whole bunch of theories that, that we'll see how things pan out before I start spouting off all of my, uh, uh, how I think the rest of the season's gonna go and then and then subsequent seasons but um but yeah like I, I it, it like like Bo-Katan is definitely a feminist icon and not an example of what not to do uh, <laughs> I don't think Katie Sackoff would be down to play this role um if that were the case because because like look at look at her other roles like she is yeah. definitely I I cast as badass women uh repeatedly and 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 takes a lot of delight in playing those roles so yeah yeah for sure i it's 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 kind of her her calling card at this point so yeah like they they show up and it's awesome and we get sasha banks uh showing off what kind of a badass she is as well when she just 
she, yeah, she's just like in. She's just like she's like got it, and she's in there. And then it's one of those great like we don't even see it. We just mm-hmm. we just see like the effects of like the bubbles, the blasts, and then coming out of the water. And you're like, yeah, she did it. I uh, and I uh, uh, and then the way that she just rips that that shell open, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah that impressed rip. me. I was like, oh, okay, we're just gonna toss that yeah. side. Um, and like, I think, I think one of the things here that's important to note is that like these three, they're, they're true Mandalorians, not just in the sense that they are, um, from the, the, the main faction of Mandalorians, which we will get into that in a second, but also like they are Mandalorians from Mandalore, yes. which means that they're, they are like the peak physical specimens, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so when she does that, it's like, yeah, I believe it. Mm-hmm she's a Mandalorian, right? Like, yeah, of course she can do that. Um, it's, it's not, it's not at all ridiculous to me, but, uh, then, then we get into the whole children of the watch. I uh, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to try and lay this out. And then, and then you tell me if, if, if my read on this is different from how you perceived it. So my read is that when, Mandalore was split, right? It was split into the pacifists with uh, with Satine and like everybody who lived in the city, Mm -hmm. Um, and then there were the 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 Death Watch on that moon, I I that on Mandalore, right? Like on the moon of Mandalore. So I don't I don't remember if they called the moon Concord Dawn or not, but the 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 Death Watch were there regardless. Yeah. Essentially, they got banished for wanting to not be pacifists. Yeah, yeah. And the reason why they're pacifists is because George wanted them to be sitting out the war so that everything else could happen, right? So that they could play this other integral role. So so they're, they're like, we've got the pacifists who have turned away from the way of Mandalore, like Mandalore the Great, the, the person. Uh, and then you have the, the Death Watch who are devoted to the Mandalore. And then you get a schism within the Death Watch when Darth Maul takes over, right? After Pre Vizsla is killed. And you have Death Watch splinter into two groups, into, into Darth Maul's Death Watch, and then Bo-Katan's Night Owls, right? So what we're seeing here, like, these are the Night Owls. And I, and I would say that, like, Clan Wren and I... I the, the 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 heroic Mandalorians that we saw in Star Wars Rebels all fall under that under like the Night Owl mm-hmm. yeah. faction of Death Watch, and then you had some of of the Mandalorians go with the Empire, which which I, my theory is that is that um, Moff Gideon is actually Mandalorian that he's one of them that that he's he's like the the couple that we saw like the the Protectorate right mm-hmm. the I, uh, that we saw in Star Wars Rebels. Interesting. Um, and then, and then you've got the Watch, which I think that the Watch are the the Mandalorians that split off and followed Darth Maul, and then Darth Maul lost, and they disappeared. Right? Because it, it, at the end of Clone Wars, Maul is like, "Yeah, we've lost the city. You're on your own." Right. Right, and then he gets captured, and and whatever, and and like I think it's it's 
like amongst those Mandalorians are the ones that split off and become the children of the watch further down the road. Right. Like, mm-hmm. like that, that's, that's sort of how these groups splinter. That's my read of it. There's a lot of gaps in there that, that need to be filled in obviously, but, but that's my working theory as of right now is like, like sort of how this all, like where these these different factions come from um until until we learn otherwise i'm sure that there will be a mandalorian gallery episode uh sometime next year where dave filoni (laughs) does what i just did but with the actual answer (laughs) and it'll be way more complicated and be more satisfying than what i just said but until such time everybody is free to to adopt my my read of it How, how do you is that does that make sense to you? Did you have a different read of it? Yeah. No, I mean, that's essentially what it is. I, it plays along, I, like I said, mentioned before, you know, I'm a big Halo fan. So it, it kind of plays in the same way that it did in Halo. You know, you've got, mm. um, you know, the main set that's against people and then that fractures. And so, you know, it'll, the one group goes to try and redeem itself. So we'll call that, you know, the night owl sort of thing. And then you've got the ones that are, beaten back and trying to regroup, which will now become, you know, the night watch. So yeah, I, I do agree. Um, because when, even though Bo-Katan was with, uh, with, you know, pre she, she wanted to see glory restored to Mandalore. She wasn't out mm-hmm. for anything too terribly crazy. And so when Maul comes in, she can definitely see that schism happening um, and be like, this is not what it is I'm fighting for. And so that's when she definitely separates. And I, I do agree, you know, those that were follow, following along with Maul, trying to build what their ideal of Mandalore was, which is separate from, you know, it's glory. It's now become a more extreme viewpoint um, mm-hmm. and they've had to go off into the shadows, which makes sense because we see them hiding in what's essentially sewers, um, yeah. trying to regroup themselves. So in, in a lot of times, you know, they may groups like that will think, well, you know, I have to purify my way or my way of mm-hmm. thinking in order to, you know, truly bring it to fruition. And so that could possibly be where we get the whole keep your helmet on. Because we know in Clone Wars, they're still taking their helmet off when they're talking to Maul. Um, yeah. So that may just be like some sort of religious cleansing of, you know, we fell from grace, let us return to the true purified old ways. And, you know, we will be blessed to return to Mandalore. Yeah, I, I I think it's a I think it's a really good example of of extremism, right? Like like the this this group was radicalized through the events of the Clone Wars, and then uh, Imperial rule ending with the Purge, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like this group has been very quickly pushed to the fringe and radicalized, and 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 dwindling in numbers, and then having to recruit. And I think that, that I've heard a lot of people talking about this. I haven't heard anybody bring up Al Qaeda or ISIS yet, but Thought to of me, spoken, right? yeah, to me, it's like that. I, 
I think that that might end up being one of the parallels that they're trying to draw here because there's definitely in, in star Wars rebels, there's definitely an undercurrent of, of understanding um, throughout that series. And I talked about this a lot on rebel cells that as you go through it, it's like, like the Imperials talk about them as terrorists and Mm -hmm. they're, uh, but the rebels refer to themselves as freedom fighters, right? right? Like, and it's all a matter of perspective um, because the average galactic citizen until until the Empire goes too far, right? Until they start pushing the boundaries of, of what's acceptable with things like the Death Star, the, the, the rebellion can't gain a foothold because people just think of them as, as extremists, radicalists, right? Yeah. And I... Uh, like that's that's meant to be a direct a direct uh, uh, link into things because because George wrote them as the the guerrilla Vietnamese fighters in the Vietnam War right like that was his yeah. his thinking was that the empire was was America right like the in in because because it was the seventies and it was very like anti-war and all that sort of thing yeah. uh which is so funny when when people had the whole anti-war uh controversy last year the 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 fight on the internet of the things on the board that said anti-war for i think it was for the high republic so maybe that was the beginning of this year oh it's been a long year um really nice. i and it's like well star wars has always been anti-war from its inception yeah right like it, it's it it it, it, George has always had that in there. Um, that was the point. That's why the Ewoks are the ones who win the war at the end. I, I, because it's the Imperial machine that needs to be destroyed, right? Like it's. So I, I think it's interesting that that we're getting this other guys, side of it. Our good guys are meant to do the peace talks rather than lash out with the sword. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to 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 build with the the history of Mandalore, and it's very complex past um, to understand like like where they're going with this because I do think that ultimately this story is going to be about restoring Mandalore, mm. and um, in order to do that, like a, a lot of things are gonna are gonna need to happen. And a lot of stuff is going to be explained to the audience. Stuff that animation fans, I think, can see coming because we've, we've, we 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 understand our history, right? right. So we, you can kind of have a better insight into how the future is going to play out. Now that you mentioned but, it, it comes up, um, you know, Mandalore and the Mandalorians have beef with the Jedi, too. Yeah. And yeah. so I think that's an interesting thing as well is now that, I mean, even the... Um, the armorer says, you know, they were our enemies. The Jedi were our enemies. So yeah. he's forging a new path for Mandalorians and, you know, dealing with the Jedi, what's left. Yeah. So. And, I, and I think, I think that's why I see Din as, as like, Pre Vizsla and Bo-Katan both held the dark saber and the thing was like, Oh, we've got the dark saber. Therefore like it's the symbol of uniting Mandalore, Mm -hmm. but no one has um, embodied Mandalore the great 
since Mandalore the Great, right? Like, like, and, and it was a title, like, if, if we're to believe Knights of the Old Republic is still somewhat canon, it's, I don't think it's canon canon, but if we're to believe that some of that still holds true, Mandalore was a title, right? Like, like for a long time, the Mandalore was the leader of Mandalore, right? Mm-hmm. And the Mandalorian people. Um, and, and he's very much been raised in the ideology that Mandalore the Great was you know, the true ruler of man, like that everybody should follow his way. And I'm sure that that's where the helmet stuff comes from. And like, we're going to learn all of this stuff eventually, but I like, so I see Din because he's not a Mandalorian, not a true Mandalorian from the planet Mandalore, but he's a foundling and he's been raised in this way, but he is very clearly going to be opened up to the ideology of the night owls. Right. Mm hmm. Um, and 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 have his experiences and opinions broadened in that way and he's also traveling with the child who is a, a, a an icon a symbol of the jedi i mean like there's a reason why it's baby yoda and not baby yariel poof right like <laughs> yeah like there's a reason why we ha- why it's modeled after that character And it's because Yoda is a symbol of the Jedi, in particular, the Jedi of the Old Order, right? Especially for fans of the prequels and the Clone Wars. So to be, it's like bringing these two things together, bringing the Jedi and the Mandalorians together in this way is purposeful. And the only reason that I can see that as purposeful is that the last Mandalorian to unite Mandalore was Tar Vizsla, and he did it by being a Mandalorian Jedi. (laughs) And I don't think that Din is a Mandalorian Jedi, but I think that he'll represent a very similar thing because he has the child by his side. Right. Right. And so these, these two characters can unite Mandalore and the Jedi, um, both uh, survivors of, of essentially genocide, right? Like, like, like religious genocide. Um, and and forge a new path so like the interesting thing to me is not how mandalorian ends because i feel like i i understand where that endpoint is the thing that's the most interesting to me is why they want to do that Mm -hmm. (laughs) why is this important for lucasfilm why is this something that dave filoni specifically thinks needs to happen and i think it has a lot to do with another mandalorian and jedi who may or may not end up forging a deeper relationship when they finally find each other. (laughs) And that's Ezra and Sabine, right? Right. Like, I think that when, I think that in Star Wars Rebels, they are very much friends. I think that there's potential for more there. And I think that when Sabine finds Ezra, that that will transform into something else. The two of them now being adults. And (laughs) yeah. And, uh, and, 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 and I do think that, that that devotion on both sides is going to end up flowering into something else that will lead to offspring that'll be Mandalorian Jedi, which is what Ray should have been, and you'll never convince me otherwise. I uh, she should have been the the granddaughter of Obi Wan Kenobi, but yeah, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, great granddaughter probably of Obi Wan Kenobi if if the time they, timeline they still have that certain point of view backdoor they can use they absolutely can because we have no idea where her mother came from or who she is she doesn't have a name it's there um 
can you imagine can you imagine if if that's what all of this is driving at is that is that over the next like five to ten years we get all of these stories where it's like okay the mandalorian happens and it ends up with like okay mandalorian and jedi together interesting and then we get sabine finding ezra and then they end up together and and they have children and it's like oh these are mandalorian and jedi interesting and then we take a step back and it's like hey did you guys want the backstory of who ray's mom is yeah it turns out that she's like the daughter of corky crees and she's actually <laughs> Like, like she's on Twitter. It's like I said on Twitter, they can totally course correct this whole thing by using yeah. that path. And then they can still follow the guideline of sh- she's nobody and everybody at the same yeah. time. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, let's, it'll let's just, help. let's never give up hope. It'll still sound and better. I, <laughs> let's just prepare ourselves to be very hurt when they put out a book in a year and it turns out that um, that her mother was a terrible person and like, they just, I don't know what they'll do to, to ruin that character's backstory, but they did Poe dirty. So they can, they can uh, continue to run over my corpse. It's fine. Yeah. You know, the thing with Poe that drives me the most nuts, we need to get back to talking about the Mandalorian, but the thing that about that Poe story that drives me the most nuts is that, they leaned into a harmful stereotype about uh, Latino people, mm. uh, which which is bad enough. But then that novel, like it doubles down on it of like he's just a, a rebellious teenager mm. that that just like he just and so he just joins a, a gang of drug runners. And it's like you guys had an opportunity to use a book to actually fix that yeah. and, or and like add more depth to it. And it could have very easily been like a, hey, Poe Dameron, you are uh, very much like Han Solo. We're going to use you like Han Solo, like the New Republic. We're going to use you as Han Solo to get inside these uh, Spice Runner rings and and bust them open from the inside. And then that would explain why Zori was so mad at him, right? Like, like it, it would have it worked perfectly. Instead, they don't do that, and they just double down on it with a with what is by all intents and purposes and and from everything that i've read i haven't actually read the book because i'm not going to I, do yourself a favor and just read the poe dameron comics yeah yeah well that, and that's the thing is that the poe dameron comics were so good and then and then to turn around and uh and and do them dirty like that in 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 the movie and then in the novel yeah. it just yeah it it, it, it hurts because he's one of my favorite characters so i uh, but like they still have that chance with Ray. That's my point is that like, we still have an opportunity with Ray and hopefully they actually consider, you know, building her backstory rather than tearing something down that people care about. <laughs> yep. But I was like, I, I always thought that it was such a great aspect of Poe that he was a good boy. Right. Yeah. That his parents fought in the rebellion. He was raised with that ideology. And when the time came, he joined the new Republic Navy. And when Leia recruited him, he said, absolutely like that to me. And that's what the comics made it seem like is that like Poe Dameron, he's a hothead. He's a he's an ace hotshot pilot. But ultimately, deep down, he's a good boy. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I thought that that was such a refreshing thing about a character that he's not an anti-hero. And then they just had to go and like, yeah. you were a spice runner? You know, anyways. Dumb, dumb. <laughs> Why does every character have to be an anti-hero? Why? 
sometimes it just- that's not a rhetorical question i need answers <laughs> uh <laughs> anyway let's talk about let's talk about our anti-hero let's get back to our tv show about an anti-hero okay uh let's see where are this. we <laughs> din watches from a distance as bo katan and her companions detonate the fishing boat and take off into the sunset as night falls, he walks back to the dock and is confronted by another group of Quorn. Their leader says that Din killed his brother, and he threatens to kill the child as revenge. Bo-Katan, Axe, and Koska arrive once again, and Bo tells the Quorn that she is the one who killed his brother. The Mandalorians draw their blasters and down the entire gang of Quorn in an instant. Bo-Katan then asks Din if they can at least buy him a drink. <laughs> such a great i love that they gotta rescue him twice before he's like fine yeah. <laughs> fine i accept that you take your helmets off um but i do i love that they her motives are not altogether altruistic but at the same time there's a she calls him brother at the end of this right mm-hmm. <clears throat> at the end of this scene and it's it's which is a very mandalorian thing to do uh, and and it, it's just it's so subtextual and and awesome in the way that it's executed because like it's not it's not explicit it's not overt but it's definitely implied of like oh man we do like we do have a creed mm-hmm. <laughs> and he is Mandalorian whether he's a child of the watch or not he clearly doesn't understand that he's been brainwashed by this cult uh, and we could use him. <laughs> So there's like, there's, there's like multiple levels to why she does this. Um, but, and it's also just awesome the way that they just land and she's like, no, nah, it was me. Like, like pff, you're messing with the wrong guy. And then they just massacre these like eight or nine Quarren that have them surrounded. Like these, these three Mandalorians are just, they are the epitome of badass. And it's awesome. <laughs> Um, here, I'll continue here. Uh, the Mandalorians huddle around a table back at the inn. Bo-Katan explains that Trask is a black market port where people are smuggling weapons that have been bought and sold with plunders taken from Mandalore. She plans to steal back the weapons and use them to take back their homeworld. Din tells them of his own quest to return the child of, uh, sorry, to return the child to the Jedi. I see the Jedi and my brain just goes of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) And Bo says that she can lead him to one of their kind if he agrees to help him with their mission. Uh, And and this is the moment where retroactively I feel awful not connecting the dots here. (laughs) Where I'm like, she says like, I can lead you to one of them. And it's like, and I'm like, oh, she knows where some Jedi are, I guess. And it's like, of course it was. Ahsoka, of course, the doy. Um, yeah, dumb, dumb. Uh, I was just really into it. I think I was just, I was very much in Din's uh, position, going like, "Give me the information. Let's go." Um, go ahead. You continue with the next sure. one. And we'll, and we'll... The Mandalorians sit atop the Razor Crest and go over the details of their plan. An Imperial Gogasant cruiser is docked nearby and loaded with weapons thereafter. The Imperials routinely scan for life forms before taking off, so they'll have to wait until the ship is in the air. 
Then they can board it and steal the weapons and escape before the ship leaves the port's airspace and ascends into the atmosphere. The mission will be dangerous, so Din returns to the frog couple and asks that they watch the child while he's gone. The child watches their egg container with fascination as a tiny tadpole hatches from one of their now-fertilized eggs. I, so for me, I, I will maintain that the last egg gag in the previous episode was a bridge too far. Yes. I do think like that, that's the one that turns it from uncomfortable into, wow, you guys really didn't know how yeah. some people were going to react to this. Like yeah. it, it, it was, it, it's, it's just one gag too many at that point. Yeah. Um, the, the first they intended it to be funny, and the first yeah. one I definitely found funny, and then, yeah. then the more I was like, oh, okay, uh, that's I'm kind of uncool, and then that last shot was like, really? Because <laughs> the last one isn't at that point. Like we get it. This like the story component of it of him not understanding mm-hmm. what he's doing wrong. I think it's I think because it comes after the spider egg. Yeah, it, it, it becomes like, oh, so he didn't learn a lesson from eating the spider egg and unleashing hell, mm-hmm. right? Like, like he should have learned a lesson from that, um, not to not to mess with eggs, right? Like to right. leave to leave this stuff alone. Um, but then, I, like, if not for that, I think that this moment alone would of, of him watching the tadpole hatch and the the wonder on this little baby puppet's face, right. uh, which they just, they sell it so well. And, and obviously uh, Ludwig's I, I score goes a long way to, yeah. to, to selling this. Um, but like it, it, to me, it does, it does justify that at least they knew where they were going with this, mm-hmm. that like, that, that it, that it was intended to be for something, not just for gags, but I would say I'm gonna I'm gonna not to 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 demonize him, but just to say that like like knowing Peyton Reed's previous work and understanding him, uh, I think as a director, I would say that it was definitely his influence that was like, and when, then we put one more gag at the end, mm-hmm. right? Because it was a very Ant Man esque right. gag. Yeah. It was like a very it was a it was a comedic beat that was just there for the comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much like the ant at the end of, of the first Ant-Man movie that's under the table <laughs> eating like that. She's feeding it where it's like, that's it's stupid and ridiculous that, that she's that like, they've let her keep this giant ant, <laughs> right? It yeah. doesn't, it doesn't make any sense within the context of the world or the story, but it's a good gag. Yeah. Right. And with this, it's like, that's very much the same where it's like, it doesn't like, like for all the reasons that we just talked about, it would be, much more meaningful if that didn't happen but it's a good it's it's a quote-unquote good gag right yeah and a lot of people did find it funny but um yeah like thankfully john had a plan in mind for why he was eating the eggs in the last episode Mm -hmm. to then flip it here and then he witnesses this this child being born and begins to understand that's what they are. That's what these eggs are. They're not food. Right. Right. That, yeah. that they contain life. It was very life. fast break for me because 
like the, the door slides open and I'm like, oh, cool. We get to see the frog couple again. And he's like, hey, watch my kid. And I'm like, no, <laughs> don't, don't let him in the house. But, yeah. you know, it was cool because we, we never really see that she, we assume she is aware that she knows the child is eating the eggs, but we never actually see it. The only, you know, suggestion we get is just that last scene where she like, she sees him looking back at them and she kind of wraps her arms a little tighter around the canister. Um, yeah. But the fact that she so, we don't see any signs of reluctance. So she very happily takes the child and she takes him right over to the canister and is like, see, see what we have sort of thing. And I, I do think it was nice because even though I was on the edge of my seat of like, dear Lord, don't let him touch them. The yeah. look that they were able to give on the child's face of, oh, well, there's more to this. And I think that mm -hmm. was fantastic to send because it, it can be the same way with children. You know, it's like giving a child popcorn. And then it real like I, sh I shared on Twitter a picture of my son feeding our new puppy. And, you know, it's that moment of, oh, good, I have popcorn. But it's nice to share it, too. Yeah. Um, and it was the same context for the child seeing that this food source is now for a source of life to where at the very end, you know, he can even touch it and, and enjoys interacting with it. So it was a growth, yeah. even if it was painful to get to that point. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that I think that from the writing standpoint, I think that it, like like I would almost certainly guess that that when they were writing this stuff um they they it played better on paper mm -hmm. and then when they were making the episode that they that i i guarantee you i guarantee you the way that stuff is made especially comedy that that was not in the original script and that it was added in that that was like a a during the process of shooting they were like and then at the end what if he eats one more egg like mm -hmm. like like she thinks that she's got the egg safe and it's like and we get one more egg and it's a funny gag right um and it's difficult i think when you're in a vacuum when you're in a production and you're in the middle of that and you're doing it it's hard to it's hard to see that stuff yeah um and and i and i do think that as viewers we do need to, we need to cut a little bit of slack. I still think, I still think hold them accountable. I'm not saying like, like don't, don't complain about something that that's upsetting to you. Talk about it. Let's have a dialogue. Let's, let's have a conversation about it. But I do think that like, that they're not making these and like talking to people outside of, especially something like star Wars. It's in such a vacuum. It's in such a closed environment that you really only have the other creatives around you to bounce this off of. Right. Of course, the, 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 the final point of this discussion should always be, Hey, let's have some more women in that room <laughs> and maybe we won't have these things happen like that. That I think is the most important takeaway. Yeah. Um, is that, is that, you know, if there were more women involved in the production process that were part of that closed environment, then, then maybe we could have caught this. <laughs> Right. And this could have been this, the, the controversy around it could have been uh, avoided and it could have been played a little bit more sensitively. Um, but at the same time, like, like let's, let's cut the filmmakers a little bit of slack. I don't think that anybody involved with this was going out there with the intent to upset 
anyone, right? Yeah. So it's and and I do think that intent is is an important part of the conversation. It's not the whole conversation, but it's an important part of it, right? So, and how to it, react to that feedback is also important intent. <laughs> that's a very big part of it. The other part of this conversation, because so just to name it, we're talking about the way that Pablo Hidalgo reacted. There are two parts to that. Pablo has a private protected twitter feed i think that people screenshotting his stuff and posting it as a gotcha is a little bit of a bad on their part that's just me like that's that's somebody who's been let into a circle of trust and has betrayed that circle of trust there's a reason why pablo protects his tweets and it's to avoid stuff like this um I think that Pablo should just stop tweeting altogether. I think he should leave Twitter. I, I, I think he'd just be better off if he did. I think it's, I think it's unfair to go after every Lucasfilm employee and hold them accountable for decisions that are made above the line, right? Mm-hmm. Directors, producers, executive producers, meaning showrunners, head writers. <clears throat> that's where this conversation needs to happen and what Phil Shostak says about it and what Matt Martin says about it and what Pablo Hidalgo says about it and, and others, I don't think is nearly as important or carries nearly as much weight as, as a response from Kathleen Kennedy, John Favreau, Dave Filoni or Peyton Reed would. Correct. Right. Yeah. The fact that they're silent is a problem. That's a big problem for me. And, and both from, like a fan perspective. And then when I look at it as a professional who, who manages brand <laughs> in my day job, it's, it, that's something that really bugs me is that like Lucasfilm and Disney are not handling this. Yeah, They're letting vanity fair, write articles that are really insensitive and really hurtful. And, and they're letting the media get away with it. Right. By not saying anything. Yeah. So I think that's really irresponsible. I think that stems from a fact that Lucasfilm currently doesn't have an ideology. It doesn't have, and this happens when when founders leave companies, there is always a period where the company is rudderless. And 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 although it might do some good stuff, Lucasfilm has done some very good stuff since Disney bought it. They are missing their core ideology. And that was George. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't think that this controversy would have gotten out of control in the way that it has if George were still in charge and, and uh, not to say that he would deal with it personally, but that his ideology would be steering the the ship mm-hmm. and that it would filter down. And I think that you see it in Dave and I, and it makes me, it makes me wonder if, if there's some intentional silence coming from above his pay grade that, that is like, and when I say above, I mean, above, above, I mean like Disney that uh, that's problematic, but it's kind of the nature of it. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I think that Pablo is reacting from a, from an emotional place, which is not something that he should be doing. He should, he should, I love Pablo. I think that Pablo Hidalgo is a great person. Uh, and I think that what he's done for fandom has been awesome. Um, I think that this is an instance of him reacting very emotionally and, and thinking that he was talking in a private way um and and it becoming a public matter uh and that to me it's just a whole there's no easy answer on it nobody has done 
what they should have in any of the steps along the way here. Um, it, there, there was a much better way to have this discourse, but we are where we are. Uh, and, and we've got to kind of live with it. So that's my opinion on it. I'm a, Everybody's toes have been stepped on too. It's not, yeah. it's not just fans. Um, I think especially with Pablo going private um, on Twitter, you know, some of the people at Lucasfilm, they got their toes stepped on too. Um, yeah. and, and just as we in the fandom are uh, much more hesitant, much more cynical, much more disbelieving, um, they, they probably are too. And ugliness can rear in situations like that. And it's yeah. unfortunate and things get said that shouldn't be or, you know, in this case, opinions um, may not get listened to because they're so shunned <laughs> and yeah. reserved. So it's it's not one way. It, it happens both ways. You know, they, they still should listen. They still should consider it. And they yeah. can either kindly engage or keep quiet. There's some things they shouldn't keep quiet about. But I suppose it's better than them making it worse. <laughs> yeah. Silence would have been preferable. <laughs> yeah. Because it definitely fan flames. But but I do also think they 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 fandom needs to take ownership of its behavior as well and and it's it's that's a weird thing because fandom is an organism not not an individual right Mm -hmm. but um but at the same time you know like there are there are people within the fandom uh people that i consider friends they they that also fan flames on the fandom side of things and and get get people going um and i i just i don't think that it helps anybody it certainly doesn't help the actual conversation that needed to happen out of this which is where the discourse started and i think was healthy i mean look i it started from a very healthy very reasonable place of this was triggering to some individuals for good reason totally valid reasons and that needed to be acknowledged Mm -hmm. right that that conversation turned into exactly what I was saying of this probably wouldn't happen. This would be a lot less likely to happen if we had more women, more diverse uh, representation behind the camera uh, and above the line in particular. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it got picked up by media and media turned it into, Hey, look, essentially like here are the 2020 Raylos and that did not have the effect that they, I don't think that they were aware of what that was going to do, that that was going to take the group that is radicalized against the Raylo community and turn them on a few individuals again, like people that are, that are my friends. Right. right. So the, and then those people that were targeted by harassment reacted to the fact that they were being targeted by harassment and it got worse and worse and worse. And then Pablo made his comments. And at the point they, they, they vanity fair published their article with that awful headline, that totally irresponsible, disgusting headline that 
like I feel sorry for Anthony Bresnikin because I don't think that he made that choice. I think that that was an editorial choice above his pay grade that was that was forced on him because he's been he's been nothing but good to Star Wars fandom because he is a Star Wars fan, right? Mm-hmm. I that that reeks to me of like a corporate decision of like this is going to get clicks, right? Um, yeah. And that that the EW article, which was which should have never linked to actual tweets. And then the Vanity Fair article that had a very sensationalist radicalizing headline. Those two things contributed to turning this into uh, a conversation within the fandom that was getting a little bit out of control to a complete and utter firestorm. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to use the word fire. I want to use a different word, but I'm not going to on this podcast. (laughs) I, and, and, the 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 thing that is the most upsetting about that is that there are real human beings that were caught in the middle of that whose weeks were ruined by it uh, which which is really upsetting um and nobody like outside of that loop considered those ramifications when they did what they did and that's like to me that's one of the biggest problems here and that's kind of what it's turned into but then again like what i said is you know pablo getting involved <laughs> in any way shape or form that wasn't a direct one-to-one conversation with a person that he could trust uh was was a was a really really big mistake on his part um i hope that he has heard some of the criticism of his response and that he takes it to heart and that he it doesn't push him further um because to me like like this when this stuff gets emotional and gets heated all, all it does is further push people to extremes yeah um and, and what I would like is for everybody to just take a beat, <laughs> calm down a little. Look, the, the the fandom menace, there's nothing we can do about them. They're a bunch of knuckleheads that shouldn't have access to the internet in the first place. Um, we're not going to change those hearts and minds, but there are people in the middle. Um, and there are people on the on the right side of this argument that 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 can be talked back to, to, to being a little bit more reasonable, but it is unfortunate that like, like Lucasfilm has definitely lost fans because of this, because of something that should have just been addressed. It should have just been addressed. Mm -hmm. Hey, we hear you. This, we did not expect this to be uh, received this way. It was not our intention. We're going to do better in the future. That's it. That's, that's all it takes. I, Ubisoft did it with the the Assassin's Creed thing in the same week, yep. right? With the language around around uh, 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 burn victims and and uh, there's a for people who don't know who aren't in video game culture, uh, there's a character in a side quest in in Assassin's Creed Valhalla who has burns on on their face, and the description in the in the the codex text or something like that refers to them as disfigured or something like that um which is harmful language to people who are burn survivors right Mm -hmm. um because it implies that you're somehow less than because of something that happened to you that is out of your control um something that you're already struggling with right Mm -hmm. so just it's very ableist language and ubisoft came out and was like hey 100 percent here you guys yes this this is something that that we should have caught like that that uh, now we know better we'll do better in the future and we are going to remove it in a future update perfect response mm-hmm. right and everybody sort of like was like okay good 
good. Like we're not standing up and giving you an ovation or anything like that, but thank you. Like good, good response, good action being taken and, and, you know, we'll be watching do better in the future. Right. And that's exactly what Lucasfilm needed to do. And they didn't, (laughs) they haven't, and they're not going to. So, you know, I, I, it, it, I think, I think now we can leave egg gate behind us. Yes. On, on to the episode. <laughs> and, and prepare ourselves for next week where uh, people are going to be upset about Gina Carano. And then the following week where people are going to be upset about Rosario Dawson. So <laughs> let's just buckle up. Cause as, as Mando says at the end of this episode, it's going to be a bumpy ride. Yes. <laughs> the next four weeks are going to be tough on Twitter, <laughs> but uh, I, I will, we will persevere because uh, Star Wars is worth it. In my opinion, that's my take. Uh, but uh, where are we? It's man. Uh, morning dawns on track. Do this. We got a whole, a whole page of, <laughs> sorry, where are we? we're on morning dawns morning on trask yeah morning dawns on trask and the imperial cruiser takes off from the port as it climbs into the air the four mandalorians streak toward the ship on their jetpacks they land on a catwalk on the outside of the ship and quickly dispatch the stormtroopers guarding the cruiser's exterior but not before one of them is able to warn the ship's crew about the pirates attacking the ship the imperial captain seals off the cockpit and orders the rest of the troopers on the ship to stand guard and prepare to repel the invaders. Uh, I love them being referred to as pirates. Yeah. It's, it's especially because like the whole nautical theme of, of this this moon of the moon of Trask mm-hmm. um, and the foreign and Mon Calamari. It's like oh we got pirates uh, and it's uh, they're not pirates they're Mandalorians. Show some respect. <laughs> uh, but this is where the action starts. We can cruise through this now because. This is just uh, what's what else is there to say other than Mandalorians are cool? They have jetpacks and wrist rockets and stuff, knives that pop out of their arms. I like the uh, fact that the the jetpacks are like RC cars. Like yeah, just... that they can be yeah. controlled by the gauntlet. Yeah, it is. It is pretty good. It is pretty good. Uh, here, what, continue with the next one. Sure. Axe slices a control panel, and an exterior door slides open. Bo-Katan enters the cruiser first and cuts down a handful of unsuspecting troopers with her wrist blade. Koska, Axe, and Din come in behind her, and the four Mandalorians march down the corridor of the ship, gunning down waves of stormtroopers with deadly precision. They board an elevator that takes them down to the cargo bay, where their goal awaits. An Imperial officer and his squad of troops guard the cargo hold and await with nervous anticipation as they see the elevator approach the position. I uh, the the shot where they enter the the ship and they're walking <laughs> towards camera and Din is like coming in and like some people have characterized it as him not knowing which way to go. Right. I think I think that he is covering their six. He's more cautious than they are. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're a lot more bold. That was the language to me is that like Din is very scrappy. We'll see it again in a minute. Well, they're used um, to being in a pack. So if you're a lone wolf, yeah. you're going to check every side where you go. You're going to yeah. be cautious. Yeah, Whereas exactly. if you're in a pack, you know your role in that pack and you're going to execute it yeah. without much thought. It, this is not the first time that they have done this. It's mm-hmm. very clear just from the visual language. And then we get confirmation of that 
um from the captain right. of of like it, it's 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 these pirates again right like they're they're doing this again um but it was so great we were watching i was watching this for the second time last night with my wife and uh, uh her first time and it gets to this moment and we get that it's a slow-mo shot that's not slow-mo right like it's it's one of those ones that like replays in your mind as slow motion even though it's not in the actual show and you just like get the badass music behind it and everything yeah um of of bo katan walking towards camera and and crystal goes she goes oh she's really cool (laughs) (laughs) it's like yeah she is which like because because for me it's like well this is bo katan right like i already know that she's really cool like like she's a she's she's a hero of the clone wars right she's she's uh the rightful ruler of mandalore all that stuff um we've seen her be a badass half a dozen times at this point um so to me it's like old news it's like but to crystal she didn't watch the animated stuff with me so to her bo-katan is a new character like this is all fresh Mm -hmm. so she's just being introduced to this character and she's like she's pretty cool (laughs) i was like yeah she is it was very like the statement was super matter of fact and i was like yeah it's a this is an objective truth about this character. What you can say, whatever else you want about her boob armor or whatever. She's pretty cool. Uh, there's no denying that. It's 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 not up for discussion. Uh, okay, uh, I'll continue here. Uh, the doors open and the Mandalorians emerge, guns blazing. The officer orders his troopers to seal the blast door surrounding the elevator, cutting off the Mandalorians before they can reach the cargo bay. The officer radios the bridge and informs the captain that they've trapped the intruders in the cargo control area. No sooner has he uttered the words than the cargo bay hatch opens, sucking the officer and his troops out into the open air. Love this bit. Love it. It's so funny. Uh, it's so good. It, okay. Let, I, I, this, is, this is my view on the Imperials at this point in star wars Mm -hmm. these guys are not the best of the best the best of the best are still out there because in this time period we've still got i'd have to i'd have to check and see when alphabet squadron happens but like but like let's say you know we've got like alphabet squadrons out there fighting uh who's what what's the 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 tie fighter they're they're nemeses uh, uh i haven't gotten to alphabet squadron yet so oh no okay they have like a rival group that they're like that they're tracking that they're tasked with with um with mm-hmm. taking down that are like the elite tie fighter squadron that like these tie fighters can take out an imperial or, sorry an entire rebel or new republic mm-hmm. uh contingent or whatever right like like these guys are are terrorizing the galaxy right. um they exist and like that's all sort of like in ray sloan's uh, uh part of the empire right yeah she, um, she'll be commanding the best of the best at the moment now. yeah but then there are like these guys on the outer rim they i think it's a i think it's a really important distinction that these guys don't have the clipped british accent Mm. that they are not these they're not core world imperials they're not moff tarkin they're not uh uh even like uh um oh man what's the the guy that built the death star uh in from rogue one from rogue one all right oh uh 
without teeth, man. Um, Krennic. I, I, I. Yes, Orson Krennic. Yeah. Orson Krennic. Yeah. Like they, the, they're not the or or I. Um, I can't think of any names tonight. Pel, not Pelion. Yularen. Um, they like those guys are core worlders. They've got that British accent because they're from the core worlds and their, uh, their career military, their, their legacies, like their whole family has been in the, in the Imperial, like, well, the Republic and then Imperial Navy, right? Yeah. Like they're, they're bred for <laughs> this sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. These guys are outer rim uh blue collar military right and it shows <laughs> that they keep getting raided by pirates and that this guy is like we've we've sealed them off in the cargo control bay and it's like well where are you <laughs> that was not smart <laughs> you've 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 left them with the controls to the hatch and now you're all dead um but it just kind of it it goes into like the the Imperials that are left are not all scary Imperials. <laughs> um, Gideon is, is a bit scary and he had death troopers with him, although mm-hmm. now he doesn't. Um, and I, I, like I said, like, like Ray Sloan's got her contingent that are like, you know, I, I carrying out the emperor's final orders. Mm-hmm. I, or at least what we thought were the emperor's final orders operation cinder. Right. So I like, that's like, they're scary. They're the ones to be afraid of. And, and they're the ones that I think we're going to see over the next little bit are they become for the first order. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we're going to get a little bit of that over the course of this season, over the course of the Mandalorian. But then there are like the warlord Imperials. Like we saw the client last year with Werner Herzog's character and his scruffy, broken down stormtroopers um and and these guys who are they're not elite there's nothing elite about these guys they are making supply runs mm-hmm. right like they're they're barely military right. <laughs> they're they're just kind of uh doing the grunt work so and i think it also sort of implies that the that the empire post return of the jedi is not pulling from the best of the best anymore like they're they'll take anybody that'll join them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is also showing. So of course, four Mandalorians are going to be able to take this ship with no problem. Like that. It was never in question for me. But. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but when the door locks shut, um, one of the stormtroopers lowers the weapon and looks at the guy who had been crouching and just, mm-hmm. even with the helmet on you, just through his body language, you kind of get this sense of like, he's staring down the guy, like really I'm supposed to be following you and you're cowering over in a corner. I don't know yeah. why, but I love that <laughs> because normally yeah. he would always be like, they are a stormtrooper and they follow orders and they, you know, are crisp and do the precision and they don't question it. And this guy's clearly like, why am I listening to this guy? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's de- yeah, it, it was definitely like I, 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 you know, looking at your manager and going like, really, that's what you want me to do? Yeah. That doesn't seem like the right decision, but you're in charge. So I guess that's that. And then they get sucked out the back of the ship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it de- there was definitely like an air of incompetence, and the captain has a moment of like, ugh. And you kind of tell that like of uh, like there everybody else on the ship is a is like a fresh recruit or somebody who got stationed out in the outer rim because you know like you can do less damage out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that he was a career officer, even if he doesn't have the British accent, that that he was definitely trying to live up to the the high standard of the empire um because he's just kind of ashamed of where he's at and what's happened to the empire yeah Um, but they've also become zealots as well it's 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 really interesting the the way that this turns um let me let me continue here uh axe and Casca open large crates full of the weapons thereafter one of the ship's pilots nervously radios the cargo hold hoping for a response from any surviving imperial but Bo-Katan answers the transmission instead. The captain warns her that they'll never escape the ship alive with the stolen arms, but Bo tells him that they're not escaping the ship. They're commandeering it. Din didn't sign up to steal an entire cruiser, and he's none too happy with the change in plans, but Kreese insists that he help them with the, with the mission, help them see the mission through to completion if he wants her help finding the Jedi. She wants the cruiser for their attack on Mandalore and believes the captain may have information about something else she needs if she is to reclaim their home world. So we, get, we get our little hint at the Darksaber mm-hmm. here. Um, do you want to continue? Sure. The Imperial captain contacts Moff Gideon and requests reinforcements to repel the invaders. When Gideon learns that the Mandalorians have already secured the weapons and taken most of the ship, he denies the captain's request, telling him he knows what to do. Long live the Empire, he says ominously. The captain repeats the mantra and shoots the two pilots. He takes control of the ship and angles it downward, intent on crashing the vessel into the sea. Uh, Yeah, and so this is where we see that... At least Gideon's uh, contingent, his his faction of the Empire, are uh, uh, zealotous. They'll mm-hmm. they'd rather they'd rather kill themselves. Uh, his his true followers, right, would rather kill themselves than see their resources in the hands of their enemies. Yeah, and uh, uh, this is much scarier than anything Gideon did. At the end of season one, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Because if that's if this is what his followers are willing to do, um, I, it's it's going to be a it's going to be a tough fight <laughs> when the next time that we see him, because the next time I don't think that he'll be quite as bold. I think I think that he'll he'll be more cautious the next time he's going to confront uh, Din and his compatriots because because he got burnt once. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, and it, yeah, the I, I, I let me see. I, I'm going to read this next part because I want to talk about sure, the, sure. the the confrontation. Uh, the Mandalorians make their way toward the bridge, but a squad of troopers with heavy blasters block their path, and they're forced to take cover. With time running out and the ship plummeting fast, Din runs towards the troopers, blaster bolts ricocheting off his Beskar armor. He gets close enough to the troopers to toss explosive charges that wipe out the entire squad, clearing the way to the bridge. Um, I love this moment because it shows that as much as, <coughs> excuse me, I've talked too much on this episode tonight. <laughs> I, I, as much as the other Mandalorians are polished and 
tactical and um and efficient din is a blunt object yeah (laughs) like like he will get the job done no matter what um and he's a survivor Mm -hmm. right like i think i think he's he's made of different stuff um and and i think that one of the things that visually we get from him when you see him next to these other mandalorians his armor is thicker than theirs uh you you just kind of get that feeling yeah and it's bare it has no it has no allegiance it's not it's not painted in any color it is it's he is beskar he's pure beskar Mm -hmm. that he doesn't need paint it doesn't need to be colored he doesn't need ornamentation or art uh he is this this is one of the reasons why i look at him and i go like he is the reincarnation of mandalore right like that's that's the vibe that i get from him is that like like the other mandalorians are like we're pinned down and he's like i'm a mandalorian i'm never pinned down like like if i if i want to walk through blaster fire i walk through blaster fire right like this is nothing compared to what i've been through over the last week right like like he just gets out there and he just runs like a a a, a football position of a person that runs i don't know linebacker maybe i don't know anything about football. i watch rugby i don't watch football <laughs> okay i i and he just barrels through right like yeah. he, like like he's got the football and no one's gonna stop him and uh, and he just takes those blaster bolts and they just they just ping off of him in every direction and i think this is the moment where bo katan goes from seeing him as uh someone that she can use in this moment to yeah. an ally that she should Mm-hmm. that she should uh, make sure she keeps around. Um, because he's clearly... Because her, her attitude after this changes a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he's clearly not into what they have to offer, but yet he's still willing to very forwardly risk himself to complete, yeah. you know, their mission, their cause. Um, and, you know, even though he doesn't get injured, he's still taking, you know, some pretty good dings. Um so yeah, I, she respects that, and she yeah. sees even though she recognizes him as a foundling, as part of being a Mandalorian, definitely that increases her eyes of you are Mandalorian. You exude what it is to be Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. I and I and I think in a context, in a larger context, where where Django is is. Um, considered like like uh exiled from mandalore and and not not a true mandalorian in that way and and uh, uh just out for himself and mm-hmm. and uh and seen as as sort of less than to the to the other mandalorians uh din who comes from outside of the mandalorian culture but is raised in it and uh, uh even even within this this faction this this uh this cult he's still um i think what she recognizes is that is that what's underneath all of that is still true mandalorian grit right Mm -hmm. like it's that it's it's that thing that makes the mandalorians the greatest warriors in the galaxy Mm -hmm. and uh and and she respects that for sure It, it is definitely a moment of like of seeing past the 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 differences in ideology to understand like we are made of the same stuff mm-hmm. right like we're we're whether or not you were born on mandalore you are a mandalorian mm-hmm. like as you say right 
I... Yeah, here, you continue. You continue with this one. Okay. The Mandalorians enter the cockpit. Din drags the captain from his seat and hands him to Kreese. He and Koska take the controls and pull the ship out of its nosedive just in the nick of time. Bo-Katan interrogates the captain and asks him if Moff Gideon has the dark saber. He replies that if she's asking, she must already know. Bo demands the captain bring her to Gideon in exchange for his life, but he refuses and bites down on a capsule that immediately kills him, electrocuting himself. I, uh, man, this is so great. I mean, like, like having the dark saber named yeah. <laughs> is always a good thing. Um, and and the the Din getting a little bit of backstory here um we don't know if din knows what the dark saber is so uh, it'll be interesting to see if that comes up again but he's heard the word now and uh, uh, and hopefully he understands what it means mm. um you would think so <laughs> I, I i think so i i but we don't know what what holes there are in the True. in the children of the watch uh, ideology right yeah what parts they've omitted um so I think it's definitely setting that up and and then this moment where he bites down on the on the capsule in his in his mouth and this great Star Wars twist on the cyanide capsule mm-hmm. of electrocutes him because it's like yeah it's a cool sci-fi thing but I think even more than that I mean people have made memes of it of like oh I didn't even notice Palpatine uh, in the background in this episode uh, until I watched it a second time like there's there's funny pictures and stuff like that online of, of jokes of that kind. But, but I do think that there's a, there's like a legitimate correlation here of like it, this lightning kills him because they're fo- like, they're, they're followers of the emperor. Right. Mm-hmm. So what a, what a perfect way to do that. But, but again, it's, it's just showing how Gideon's followers are. They're extremists in their own right. Right, and it's like there's just this really interesting correlation between where everybody is in the galaxy and like the the extremes of it, Mm -hmm. and I think that that has to do with where we are right now as a society and the way that we're looking at things because it feels like everything is so extreme in in our world of like you're you're with us or against us sort of mentalities. Um, and how dangerous that is, right? And and so I think I do think that 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 John Favreau and Dave Filoni that that's one of the things from a larger thematic perspective that they're driving at here is like I the 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 rebellion fought to restore peace and justice and and you know harmony to the galaxy, right? Mm-hmm. But in reality they've just kind of made it even more lawless and that has pushed people further to the fringes of society and it's and and you like you've you've backed the dog into the corner and now it's feral right and so you and so you've got the empire doing extreme stuff which then ends up I think we'll we'll discover in the timeline that that ends up impacting the Mandalorians, which has now put them into this extreme place, right? Where they're on a fringe and they're fighting for survival. 
and everybody's just in these crazy factions when what the galaxy actually needs is for everybody to stop fighting right and to and to 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 recognize that that all life is important right Mm -hmm. um but but nobody can see past their ideologies right the empire thinks it should be one way the new republic thinks it should be another way um but even they're they're compromising their ideals and not arresting din because it's trying times right the mandalorians are compromising their ideals in order to 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 win back mandalore like there's there there are all of these different components to it where it's like what they actually need is everybody to just kind of come back into to a more moderate place and talk <laughs> instead of fighting right. but then it wouldn't be star wars right so right. i don't know in some parts of the galaxy it is peaceful i mean like i i that that was sort of kaz's story right was that mm-hmm. he he grew up in a very peaceful existence until he realized like, Oh dang, there's people out in the galaxy suffering. Um, I really wish that we would have gone further into his story instead of what we got. But, I, but, but that was definitely a, a, a vibe in, um, at least in the first season of star Wars resistance of, of this very innocent kid who was an adult, but, but like a very like arrested development, sort of situation starting to realize like oh i as much as it's nice where i come from i'm a privileged rich kid Mm -hmm. uh, and there are a lot of people in the galaxy suffering and uh yeah i I don't know what we're seeing right now the mandalorian gives us a very specific view of the galaxy and that is the part of the galaxy that is suffering as a result of the end of the war right Mm -hmm. so I don't know. It's all. It, hopefully, it's all driving towards uh, uh, post-trust uh, uh, unification, right? When we talk about Mandalorians so. and Jedi coming together and the galaxy I just healing, think of and, and, and I'm like it's, that sort it's, of thing. It would be really nice. To see. So, yeah, it, it it would be nice to see that all of the suffering of the characters that we love mm-hmm. was for something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. that all of this is actually building towards something meaningful yeah right well it's it's like uh, that too you know like with um the novel bloodline where um you know you you watch the original trilogy and you see what leia goes through and then you see that she spent so many years you know away from ben and away from han and she's been working to build the new republic into something that reflects the old but can work for everyone and you know won't fall apart and everyone is so stuck in their own ideologies and as you were saying they just go to more extremes and and the new republic was no different um that it focused on these poor worlds that you know had a whole lot more to offer and so these outer fringes got lost to you know the different crime syndicates what would eventually become you know these crazy moff gideon led um and zealots and then what turn into you know the first order which is just trying to be a more idolized version of the empire um and and so it is you know she worked she she lived pretty much her whole life trying to fight back and didn't get very far (laughs) so it yeah that is probably the greatest tragedy of the sequel trilogy is is leia's journey right i mean the the 
everything that she fought for. Right. It just, it never really comes to fruition. There's a, there's like, there are brief moments of it before we get into like the, the era of the force awakens there, there are sort of these, these flashes of it, Mm -hmm. but it never really materializes in the way that I think her and Mon Mothma and the other uh, leaders of the rebellion envisioned. Right. right? Um, And I think that's bad too, because at the end of Tross where you see the Star Destroyer falling down where the old one already is on Jakku, it's literally just, a reset there was no momentum forward <laughs> literally just oh yeah it, these last it, yeah it, it literally flat. pushes them right back yeah to 30 years before that it it's it's yeah it it, it it i think that we're talking about some of the things that make tross not really a great finale to a nine film saga right mm-hmm. a, a 40 year story yeah. um it's 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 a it's a weird thing but at the same time it i think that the sequel trilogy is inherently flawed in the fact that you don't have a character that represents what leia represented in the original trilogy right Mm -hmm. oh does to a certain degree but only really from the military standpoint right yeah um and i do think that 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 I think that Ryan recognized that in The Last Jedi, and that's why he tried to push Poe in that direction. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't get followed through on in Tross. It, it actually gets sort of undone. Like, Poe goes back to being who he was in The Force Awakens, um, as opposed to being the leader of the Resistance, which is where he, we leave him in, in Tross when Leia says, what are you looking at me for? Follow him, right? Like, yeah. that's a not-so-subtle line that is supposed to be like, he's the new leader. Like mm-hmm. he's the new princess Leia, go follow him. And so he should have grown into that role in, in rise of Skywalker instead of, um, I think, uh, uh, rejecting that. And then really just being a commander at the end of the movie, he wasn't really a general, but anyways, we don't need to get into that much trust stuff. We still have a couple more things to talk about here with the, we have the big reveal to still talk about. I. Where are we at? Is it uh, me? Mandalorian's chart, of course. Yeah. I. Is this me or you? This is me. I just did the other part, so you can okay. go ahead. I think we might have. I think we might have switched at some point. We but... did, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, for those who don't know at home, we it's color coded red and blue for each paragraph, so that it's easier to track where we are. But clearly, we got turned around somewhere. Uh, the Mandalorians chart a course in their newly acquired freighter. Bo-Katan asks Din to reconsider joining them on their mission. But he needs to return to the child and continue on his own quest. Kreez tells him to take the foundling to the city of Caladan on the forest planet of Corvus. There you will find Ahsoka Tano. She says and she thanks him for his bravery. Din exits the ship as it ascends and he flies back to the port city on his jetpack. Awesome. Yeah, I wasn't expecting to hear the name of Sokotano in quite this way. And like, look, this was this was spoiled months ago. Yeah, um, which is really unfortunate. Like, there's you know using the code name Fulcrum, but guess not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, we're just gonna we're just gonna do it. I, I, you know what? I think had it not leaked, had it not been a spoiler, um, 
I think that this would have had a crazy impact mm-hmm. and that it would have, uh, uh, it, Ahsoka has become a very recognizable name, even if you haven't seen, yeah. um, the, the, the animated stuff. Fulcrum is very much a star Wars rebels thing. That's true. Which to me, like clone Wars has a much farther reach than star Wars rebels does, which is a shame to me. Cause I think that rebels is the better story, but mm-hmm. um, so the so the codename Fulcrum I don't think would have had the same impact on on a larger scale That's as saying Ahsoka. I think that I think the air is sort of let out of the tires a little bit by the fact that we've kind of known that Ahsoka was going to be in this season. As much as like I was in very harsh denial of like she's they're not doing it. It's not Rosario Dawson. You guys are all reacting to rumors like that's fact. It hasn't been confirmed by anybody. But um, but at this point. You know, I I think that I think it's basically a a, yeah. a for sure thing. Um, I mean, it it worked because my kids they've watched Rebels, but you know, had she said Fulcrum, you know, a person named Fulcrum, they wouldn't have known. My kids just would have sat there and stared at the screen. But they know yeah. they know the name Ahsoka, and yeah. so when she says it, they're kind of like, wait, did did she just say Ahsoka? what yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly so so yeah i mean like i think i think uh, uh there's a lot to be gleaned from this uh the for- forest planet of corvus corvus is uh i like the like the i think it's the family they they um that crows ravens uh, uh i think magpies are in that as well like they're <laughs> Uh, which symbolically, I uh, look. I, I'm not going to be the expert on this. If you want, if you want to dig deep into this, go listen to What the Force. Mm-hmm. But because um, they do a much better job than I can. But but I did clock this because uh, I, ravens and crows in mythology are often tricksters. Is often a, a like a Loki type character um, to to talk about something that I think people would like a. A, a trickster character that people understand certainly in pop culture um so that name that name doesn't feel like a a coincidence i don't think that ahsoka is going to be on corvus or if she is she will not be in the city of caladan i think that we're going to get there and it's going to be uh it's going to be a bit of a journey um because we're not going to get it. I don't. We don't get Ahsoka in the next episode. I think we get Ahsoka in the episode that Dave is directing two weeks from now. Makes sense. Um, or I guess I mean like at this point because we're recording on Wednesday, the new episode will be out tomorrow at midnight. Um, we're basically a week away. That's which is which is crazy that we're a week away from Ahsoka Tano <laughs> in live action. But um, yeah, man, it it'll be cra- as crazy as it was to see Bo Katan in the flesh. It's gonna be. Oh yeah. It's going to be something else oh, yeah. to see Ahsoka on screen. Um, and and most importantly, it is really, really special to see Ahsoka enter the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Because The Mandalorian is the most watched show on streaming platforms. It, which probably makes it the highest rated television show on the planet, other than sports. I. Uh, uh, but like for a narrative, certainly for it, so. <laughs> yeah, it's for, for for a serialized story, um, like like this is the most watched thing in the world. Yeah. Um, 
and that's and, and like that's it's crazy that that ahsoka is gonna be brought to the world on that level um it's it is <laughs> it's a great thing but it's also a bit of a dagger uh it, with the fact that like well how come she couldn't have been included in rise of skywalker in some meaningful way but that's all right um we'll ignore that it, yeah we'll ignore that part of it her voice is in there at least you know um but i uh, but yeah it's gonna be really cool to see her uh, uh come to the screen it is it is i mean like that this character is very important to a lot of fans there there's a there are now i think two generations of star wars fans that have grown up with ahsoka as a part of star wars right um and certainly i think for the the female contingent of star wars fans she's very important i mean i i would say uh that for uh uh, millennials and younger she is as important as princess leia yeah um i i mean i she's not my favorite but i definitely like her and appreciate what george mm -hmm. and dave did with her and um all three of my kids like her but my son who's seven especially really likes her um and my mother who's in her late 50s Ahsoka is her favorite character. She adores her. Um, yeah. She has Ahsoka shirts, an Ahsoka face mask, uh, you know. <laughs> so figurines, she buys Star Wars figurines, and she usually takes them out of the box. But she went to the extreme for the Ahsoka figure to buy one to have opened and one to have unopened. So <laughs> for the fact for her to do that means something. <laughs> Your mom sounds awesome. All right. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> Uh, I always just I always give my mom a lot of credit for at least knowing what some of the characters' names are and understanding, you know, the difference between the prequels and the original trilogy. Back when I was a kid, back when I was still living with them, um, I so I gave my mom a lot of credit for that stuff because my mom does not care. Like she is not into Star Wars, oh, she although she did. She was there on opening night in 1977 alongside my dad in California. They saw it at, uh, uh, not at the, they saw it at uh, Century City, which is like the, it, it's the, which at the time was like the biggest theater, I think. Uh-huh. Um, not, you know, obviously like the big premiere would be at the Chinese theater, right? But, but the, the, the nicest screen to go see it on, according to my dad was at, I think it's called Century City. And uh, so my mom was there. Oh. She remembers it. She remembers going to see Star Wars and it being a really big deal. But uh I can't remember she if she really did care. or not, but the my biggest memory is we, I can't even remember the movie we went to go see. Um, it was when they first did uh, a teaser trailer for Phantom Menace. Yeah, sitting there and like the logo comes on and like her arm reaches across the seat to like hold my arm, and I'm like, "What is your problem?" And you know, like the force theme slowly comes on as the Gungans come through the mist, and she just had this look of like, "Oh my god!" So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's awesome. I <laughs> uh, well, she, clearly she passed it on. Yeah. I, I, it's 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 in the blood. Um, that's cool. I. 
let's finish this off. Let, let's yes. let's uh, let's talk about this last little. Okay, bit. Uh, Din returned to the frog couple to retrieve the child, who was now playing with the couple's newborn offspring. The child squeals in protest as Din says he has enough pets, and they leave the couple, staring fondly at their new youngling. They return to the Razor Crest to find it repaired with shoddy patchwork from the Mon Calamari dock worker. As they take off, a small tentacle creature with sharp metallic mandibles crawls out from between the panels into the cockpit and threateningly approaches the child. Din nonchalantly reaches out and catches it just in time, and the child squeals with delight as it eats the creature. The ship makes a shaky takeoff, and Din says, he finally knows where they're going. The Razor Crest jumps into hyperspace, leaving a floating piece of its hole behind. <laughs> Which I love. That is a great comedic beat to end on, is the ship jumping into hyperspace and the one panel just sort of flipping in space. <laughs> um, I love that. I, that, that, got a, that got a big chuckle out of me. Um, I, so my read is that, that that thing is a baby mama core. I, I, yeah. Because it, it it was tentacled, it was that starfish shape, which was similar, and it had the 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 toothy beak and it situation in, in its center, which was very similar to the mamacor. He was so, eaten by one, and now he's in a position to eat one. Yeah, and I think that they, I think that there's a very uh, uh, meaningful juxtaposition of this with the egg and the 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 frogling yeah. uh that uh that just to show that like that he's starting to understand where it's like okay what's an enemy and what's a friend what's a, what's an innocent and what's not mm-hmm. sort of thing and it's like well this thing was going to attack me so when it gets killed we are happy that it gets killed as opposed to you know the 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 life in those eggs is precious right which he now understands and he doesn't want to leave this little baby and it's i i love it the the puppeteering on it the 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 way that that um all of the the characters i I love that mandalorian can have scenes that are so meaningful where we don't see a single human face Mm -hmm. it's it's so cool that it can pull that off where we've got two you know five foot tall frog people and a guy in a tin can right. and a little and a little uh, big eared hobgoblin baby uh, and and uh, and just a little tiny frog baby mm-hmm. um, all interacting. And the scene works so well of like being this authentic moment. And I mean, like you've got kids, you know, when they get into something, it's like, hey, we got to go. Like, yeah. come on. Yes. I know. Yes, it's cool. They have like a Duplo play table at this doctor's office. Yeah. We're done, though. <laughs> I want to go home. I have other things to do. And that's very much Mando's attitude. And and the performance from from the child in this moment is very much the like, but I don't want to leave. Yeah. Um, and which it's just it's so good. And I I I love the the subtext of you talked about it a little bit before of sort of like the forgiveness on the part of the 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 frog lady mm-hmm. that as a uh, a potential mother and then and then at this point as a mother like she I think she kind of, she she gives the child leeway because he is a child yeah 
right? He doesn't he doesn't know what he's doing is wrong. And it's not her place to admonish him. But then when when he's left in their care, here's a teachable moment, right? Like like in this very like fantastical Star Wars way mm-hmm. of like of like, oh, now that she's actually in charge of taking care of him for a minute, like here's this great lesson to learn about life. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's imparted and and it and it and it's meaningful. And I think that it, it it'll have an impact going forward on on these characters. Um and I also just I like Din saying congratulations <laughs> as he's leaving. <laughs> as he's backing out and uh congratulations. Yeah, it's good. It's a good. It's just, it, I I like it when Mando gets into these like mundane moments of the Star Wars galaxy where it treats this ridiculous scenario that I described of these frog people and this guy in armor, and he's just like walking out and he's like, "Oh, congratulations on your new kid." Yeah, and he's and he leaves <laughs> to go you know find a Jedi. I it's just like it couldn't be more commonplace. And I think like that was the stuff that made Star Wars magic in the original trilogy was that was the places where we didn't talk about it, but it was just like, it's just, it's just normal. Right. Like, like, like the way that Luke is pissed off that he's got to do his chores and stuff like that. And it's like, (laughs) it's this movie about robots and, and a, and a big evil spaceman and, you know, lasers and stuff. And uh, and then here's this whiny kid who's like, I don't want to do my chores. I want to hang out with my friends. It's like that's the stuff that connects us to Star Wars. That's different from, let's say, Dune, which is also very cool but very inaccessible. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> almost by design. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like I like that's I think that's one of the things that makes Star Wars what it is. And and yeah. It's nice I, to see it in the Mandalorian because it wasn't in the sequel trilogy. Right. It was, I, I feel like that was very much missing from the sequel trilogy. And it's one of the reasons why those feel like movies to me, as opposed to the original trilogy, which definitely feels very grounded and feels real. And even the prequels, which have those moments as well yeah. of like Anakin talking to the old woman who's like, Oh, there's a storm coming. And and gives him a piece of fruit that he gives to to Qui Gon, right? Like yeah. like there's just these like mundane quiet moments in Star Wars that are really really important that I think that JJ definitely missed, and I think that Ryan subverted in a lot of ways that they that, that that he sort of turned on their head, um, and we we got that, but it was played for as a point with the with with the casino. Right. Right. Yeah. Where it was very relatable. It was very understandable. It was very grounded in our reality and making a point about our world. But it was also it was an extreme. It wasn't it wasn't sort of that quiet, mundane moment, mm-hmm. um, which which is like to me, one of the only things that's really missing in in The Last Jedi. Um, but there are also that that story is like right in the middle of the action. So it's kind of hard right. to do it. But but I. Uh, I think, but Mandalorian nails it. I think it's really nice too, because you know when we we think of Boba Fett or we think of Mandalorians in general, he's typecasted as the strong, silent type, and so you know they have that hard exterior shell. They don't say much. They don't. They go about their way. Mm-hmm. And I think something like that of him just stepping out and saying, you know, congratulations. 
it shows that he definitely does have that soft side. You know, like yeah. I mentioned it before when the child was being eaten by the mama core and he's like, just save the child, just save the child. We see it there. And then for him to take the time of, I find this lady annoying. I can't understand her. She's, you know, a burden on my journey for him to take that moment and congratulate her is to show that there is more to him. There's more substance. Yeah. He does care about the things around him, um, which I think is, is nice. And, you know, it, it gives that downbeat to make it feel relatable. It, it's added there for humor and it shows that there's more to this character as a, a human being. So mm -hmm. it's nice. It works. Yeah, and and I think it also it like it 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 is showing growth on his part, and that this is changing from a quest to a responsibility, right? That that the child isn't isn't this task that he's been given. It's not a exclamation point sitting above the armorer's head. It's a it's becoming a real thing to him. That that like oh you know like like the kid's been in danger a few times now but like he really thought that he screwed up this time mm -hmm. and and if they hadn't come along both of them would be dead um and uh and and you start to get the sense that like he doesn't really know what he would do with himself and i think that's where like we started the season of like he goes where i go mm -hmm. and then we get to this episode where he's like i need you to watch the kid because this is going to be dangerous. He doesn't go where I go this time. Mm -hmm. Because the last two times he went where I went, things went bad. Right. You know, they were they were ambushed and then they got stuck on the on the the ice planet, right? So um he's starting to learn that that he can't he can't be as risky as he would be with his own life uh with the child's life which which is a lesson that he needed to learn mm -hmm. um but again like so much of this show it's subtext and it's not overtly said and i think that's one of its biggest strengths but i think it's also one of the things that that can be hard for some people that they don't really understand what the show is about right because it's never explicitly stated in this way right that it's really about this relationship between these two characters um that there's a plot, there's a larger plot, but the core of it is really these the these two right. for forging this this clan, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that like when people say things like last week, like oh, it's another side story episode, and it's like no, it's not a side story episode. None of these are sides because then then this week they're like oh, finally we're back on task. It's like no, you're missing the point. None of it is unimportant. None of it is filler. None of it is a side story. Every single piece of this story is important to the larger fabric. We just might not see it yet. Right. So um, I guess all of that to say that I really like the Mandalorian and this was a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking for two hours. So I think that we should wrap this up. Uh, we're just going to jump into the mailbag really quick. Uh, and just read some of these things off uh, because you guys were nice enough to write in uh, and then we'll wrap up this episode um, because it's very late for you. <laughs> it's it's uh, 1225 in the morning. 
Yeah. Okay. Let's wrap this up. I, uh, over on Facebook, Stephen Yip wrote, uh, the episode was too short, but so much good was packed in. I am just going to say everything. I, I, I asked what, what was the favorite moment as I usually do. Mm. <clears throat> I'm just going to say everything, uh, as it was just too good. I almost woke up my son when I said Bo Katan and he put a lot of exclamation points past <laughs> that. My kids are sleeping. I don't want to wake them up. Uh, then my wife told me to calm down after Ahsoka was mentioned, just geeking out the whole episode. So uh, yeah, I think we can all agree with that, yeah. Stephen. Um, Doug Green also wrote, BRB still crying from the frog couple reunion. I feel that one as well. Mm. And then Colin Finkbeiner writes in and says, Bo-Katan, Mandalorians in action, Ahsoka name drop, need I say more? Uh, you don't, but we did. I mean, we talked for two hours about it. Um, so maybe you did need to say more. I don't know. I over on Twitter, Tim Dipple at TD Gamer uh, said, everybody is talking about the egg eating from the previous episode, but nobody is talking about the physical and emotional growth shown by baby Yoda. We literally haven't seen him do anything but eat frogs throughout the course of the show. And now he is playing nice with them. I did. This was, this was back on Monday. I think that, I think the conversation has kind of shifted to that a little bit, but we certainly and we touched on it here. So yeah. Um, and then uh, uh, Sherston emailed us once again to say, uh, sit down, children, and let me tell you the story of how four Mandalorians single-handedly took an Imperial ship. <laughs> Katie Stackoff, Titus Welliver, the return of Esposito, mm-hmm. intrigue regarding conflicting Mando cultures, great episode all around. Yeah. So I think everybody just kind of echoing all of the stuff that we talked about already on this episode. But thank you guys for writing in yeah. and uh, letting us know what you thought. Um, that's it. That does it for this episode. Uh, thank you once again for joining me. Uh, do do you want to you want to you want to plug anything? You want to point anybody in any directions? Um, sure. You can find me on Twitter. Um, I'm eighty seven Zoo Lemons. Um, and it's mostly Raylo, but I like to post random other stuff too. Um, and I also have a archive of our own account if you're interested in reading Raylo fan fiction. Uh, my name is Danny Marie. So, yeah. Awesome. Uh, you guys know where to find me at ArcWolf uh, on, uh, on on Twitter. And uh, go follow my art art account on, on Instagram, uh, ArchangelWolf, A-R-K-A-N-G-E-L-W-U-L-F. I am at this point, let's see, I think I'm four away from 300 followers on Instagram. Yeah, I'm still four away from from 300 followers on Instagram. So and buy uh, his art. He's selling his art. <laughs> yeah, please buy my art. That would be great. I got I got to pay back all the money that I put on my credit card for this PlayStation Five. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, go follow that, and I, I stay tuned for news about that uh, about that pin. That's uh, and more pins. I, I'm working on another design right now. I'm actually working on a couple. Um, nice with uh with uh daydreamer fantasy on instagram so i uh, have some cool cool uh thunderquack star wars related merch coming in that form uh that you can go check out um with that thank you for listening and uh we'll be back next week for chapter 12 You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Star Wars FMI. 
If you like what you hear, you can support us in two ways. First, by heading to store.thunderquack.com to pick up some merch, or by heading to patreon.com thunderquack to kick in with your monthly pledge of support. Your pledge gets you early access, exclusive podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. Faster More Intense is part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Head to thunderquack.com for more great podcasts.